welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. Is your business ready for the next global economic disruption? Today's show will give you a sneak peek inside our crystal ball as we explore areas of business that are full of opportunity. They're quite obvious and not difficult uh, than you might seem. It is more about thinking and feeling differently about how we do business and who we are targeting. A really great show. We have a stellar, stellar lineup of, of guests today. Today I'm joined with gender intelligence pioneer Beck Brideson, who reveals how you can tap into the modern female market. Social researcher Ashley Fell from McCrindle Research gives us the inside running on generational trends. But as a brander myself, I have to start with the topic closest to my heart and mind. Our next guest has written a new book called Truth, Growth, Repeat, a business manual for Generation Y, but W-H-Y, I love that. Award-winning brand purpose expert and author, Mike Edmonds, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Now, Generation Y, I did love that. It did make me uh, smile. Why is everyone talking about purpose at the moment? It's all about finding their why. Yeah, I think um, this has come about mostly because... Um, the old traditional ways of doing business are working less and less effectively. I think in particular uh, in my area of marketing and branding, the uh, return on advertising just isn't what it used to be. So mm. as usual, business owners are looking for the, the silver bullet, the, the next um, kind of answer to, to, to solve this problem and get them better returns on their, um, on their branding and marketing. Yeah, in your book, uh, I had a, a quick look at bits of it. I didn't, I must confess, I didn't read it all. But one bit that did stand out for me, I found particularly curious, is you cover why is purpose being dangerously misunderstood by company owners? Why is that? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think business is very good at picking up on a trend and then um, kind of spoiling it straight away. Um, Purpose is not something you just get off the shelf. You don't, I say in the book, you don't need a purpose. You need your purpose because purpose only works when it's the truth. Um, organizational purpose is, is effectively just what is your genuine motive for being in business and what is the, the value that that brings to the world that's going to set you apart from your competitors. So you can't fake it. And I'm seeing already clients coming to my company and saying, hey, I think I need one of those purpose things. Can you give me one of those? <laughs> and you say, no, I'm sorry. We have to find it inside you. It has to be true. It has to be real. Otherwise, it won't work because that's the whole point of it. Yeah, I must admit there's this uh, trend at the moment about following your passion, but it's that passion versus reality. And quite often a lot of entrepreneurs or small business people are following, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the corporate world and follow my passion, and it's a complete disaster. Yeah, look, look a passion without commercial viability is a hobby. And I think a lot of people are actually making the mistakes of um, pursuing a hobby that they hope will will pay them, uh, you know, earn them a living. Mm. And it's not as easy as that. I think um, you have to be a little more wise to, um, you know, where, where's the win-win not only for you and your fulfilment but for the customer and perhaps even for society uh, in, in general. So if someone is trying to find their purpose, what are some of the tools that you would recommend they use? Well, there's a number of things you can do. And, and like a, any good religion, it's, it's the, the, the tools and the methods uh, shared in the book are really a collection of what we've learned over the years um, from many different sources that really work. Some are from uh, human resources training, some are from actually from religion, some are from, you know, hard fact, factual business stuff. But um, 
some of the examples we use, some of the exercises are um, uh, imagine that your company um, is, has, has died. Imagine that you're at the funeral for your company. Who, who would come to that funeral and, and what would they say as the coffin's going into the ground? It's a, it's a really interesting kind of zoom out and, and have a look at the impact that you're making, you know, um, on the world. Um, another really good one is um, called Protest, which is my favourite because I, I think business owners are more often driven to, to make a real difference by what makes them angry or frustrated than necessarily just by pure optimism. So the protest exercise is one where you, you, you say, what would you go out onto the streets today and protest against uh, uh, that you think is wrong in, in your category of business or in the world? Mm. Um, for example, I would imagine Steve Jobs would have gone out onto the street and complained that personal computers were too impersonal and didn't, didn't have any humanity or creativity to them. They, didn't, they weren't really good at expressing ourselves. And so he said about making the Mac something that was more intuitive and, and, and had better typography and so forth. So those are two exercises that we use to sort of surface what's inside you and what, what, what's really going to drive you to achieve something that's, um, that means something to you that you think the world needs. Yeah, that's, I, like, I like those. I'm, I'm going to try a few of those. Now, you talk also about the circle of true purpose. What does that mean? This is just a very simple system um, for understanding how we think the world works today uh, and, and will in, in, increasingly work um, as uh, it becomes more transparent and as, as more and more smart young school leavers leave school and university and want more than just money, they want to make a difference. Um, and so it's a very simple pattern of behaviour of what happens when you start with your true purpose and set about proving to the world that you're serious about it. Mm. And it also really works by showing what happens if you start with just a money-first mindset and go the other way around the circle, which I have to say is the conventional way of doing it at the moment. So we compare those two ways, and a lot of people really recognise themselves in this little um, system, and they, they, they kind of smack their forehead with their palm of their hand and say, oh, my God, I've been going the wrong way around the circle. That's exactly what I've been doing. So it can become like a little um, a, a compass to help you make business decisions that are going to give you much better long-term growth and, and personal fulfilment. Okay, and you can find, obviously, the detail of that in your book, Truth, Growth, Repeat, a business manual for Generation Y. I, lo I love the title. Now, Mike, I'm curious uh, from your perspective because you've had an incredibly impressive career and I'm interested in your view on how you believe the concept of brand has changed over the last, I suppose, 10 years. Yeah, um, it's, it's fascinating. I've been lucky to, to live through quite a, quite a uh, number of changes in, in the whole idea of capitalism because I've always thought that marketing and branding exist at the point of the whole process of, of you know, running a business where a company has to sort of go out into the world and, and what they ask people like me to do is really telling about how, how confident they are in their own company and how, how much value they think they really offer. So the big change is that um, 10 years ago, you could have a brand image that had no real connection to uh, who you were as a company. Like the, the board of many of my clients 10 years ago would have only really just signed off on brand image campaigns and slogans and, and so forth. They wouldn't even really take much interest in it. That was one of those things they just thought they had to have. Mm. Today, though, with the rise of the internet and the fact that any customer now can, can, can share their true experience of your company instantly and globally, 
there is no real difference. There's no gap between brand image and company. It, it is just the it is the same thing now. Um, so the, the 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 difference is a brand has to be a reflection of your truth. Otherwise, you're just kidding yourself. You're going to be like a little kid with chocolate all over their face, pretending they didn't steal the chocolate bar. Yeah. You're going to be found out, and you're going to be scrabbling around trying to fix it. So the difference, I would imagine, um, is the, the biggest one, is that there is no brand image and company anymore. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, from a cultural perspective, there used to be company values, and I know I'm old enough to remember that as well. There would be company values, and then there'd be brand values, and they actually would be different. So now well, they've sort a, of merged. Yeah, there's a third thing as well, which is then what actually happens. I've, I've you know, mm. I've had experience of companies that have all these fantastic slogans behind their receptionists on the wall, and here to serve you, and excellence and quality, and in the boardroom they have, values like trust and, uh, you know, governance, and then they make really dodgy decisions and, they, and they, they prove very quickly to their staff that they're actually not following those values. They're, they're, they're either feeding their own bank accounts or they're, um, they're wanting to, you know, have a big success and then move on to the next company as a CEO or something. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, company values and mission, mission and vision and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, it's been outed now. People are tired of being told one thing and then having the company behave in a different manner. And whether it's an oil company, you know, stuffing up a, the latest spill or whether it's a, an airline dragging someone off uh, and then, you know, trying to run ads saying we're the friendly, we're the friendly airline, it just doesn't work anymore. So yeah. just, you know, just find out what your truth is and, and forget all the all the spin and all the exaggeration and hyperbole and just, just tell the truth. Well, it's so much more transparent now because the power's gone to the consumer now, but, and social media has enabled that. And there was some um, stats I was reading the other day which I found interesting that you may or may not know, but the Oxford word of the year for 2013 was hashtag. It's actually not a word, it's a symbol, but it was hashtag. 2014 it was selfie, but 2016 the word was post-truth. Oh, okay. Which yeah. was, I thought, really interesting considering what our conversation has been about this morning. And it, I think it's a real, uh, I suppose, a reflection of what society is now expecting. And that's exactly what you're talking about in your book. Yeah, and I think the, the main thing that I want to leave business owners with in particular is uh, it's very important. Um, people won't buy from you just because you're telling the truth, just because you're an honest person. What, what, what happens when you explore your, your truth and say, okay, uh, I'm going to set out to prove to the world through my company that, that I believe, let's say, um, you know, that the uh, bicycle industry needs, that needs a better kind of bicycle. Um, what you do with that is you'll attract designers and engineers and staff who, who really catch that idea and love it as much as you. And together you'll help prove that this is a viable idea by what you do. So truth only is appealing when it leads to really good innovation and service, and, and when it leads to industry breakthroughs and new products. Um, that's that's why the truth works with people, because when you say, hey, I brought out this product because I have a personal belief, I haven't just gone out and researched what people want, I've got a personal belief that this is what the world needs, when people look at that product and they experience it and they and they actually experience a, a an authentic value, exactly how you're describing it, they suddenly go, hold, hold on a minute, I think this might be a company who's telling me the truth. But mm. I think there is a difference between what they say in advertising and who they are really in the boardroom. Yeah. Holy moly, I'm, I, might, I might give them more business. So at least this kind of virtuous circle of um, you and your customer sharing this truth and, and, and making it better and better. 
So I think it's an important point because a lot of people who believe in purpose uh, are trying to convince you that today's consumer wants to buy from honourable companies. And that's true, but it's only a very small percentage of, of, of the consumer um, you know, numbers at the moment. Yeah. Well, uh, that's an, a nice way to leave it, but I know, Mike, that this is a conversation that I'd like to continue at some point. I loved having you on the show, but let's talk about this book, Truth, Growth, Repeat, a business manual for Generation Y. I assume it's everywhere you can buy books. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, pretty much uh, airports, Dimmicks, Collins, you know, the, the big ones, a yeah. couple of little independents, but mostly the, the, the usual big places, and, of course, online, Amazon and Apple and that. And it's very much a, um, a jargon-free uh, use a manual to sort of um, look inside yourself and, and, and help bring out what is it you think the world needs and then how to apply that to a business. Yeah, it would be a great book for someone wanting to start their own business, I would think. So a Yeah, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting a lot of good feedback in that respect. People are reading it and then handing it on to people that they know who are just about to or who are thinking of you know, starting their own business, and that's exactly when you should really look at this sort of work. Yeah, that's great. Well, Mike Edmonds, thank you very much for your time, and I look forward to the next time we chat. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. I am picking some of the best brains in the business world. I love it. Great fun. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That was Young People by Fulton Street. And the reason I've played that song is because our next guest is a specialist in generational patterns. She is a social researcher, a TEDx speaker, head of communications at McCrindle Research. Good morning, Ashley Fell. Good morning. Good to talk with you. Now, what do you think is the next global disruption? Um, the next global disruption yeah. definitely, I think, is particularly, as you mentioned, kind of the different generations coming through in this kind of intergenerational workforce yeah. that I think we're going to see. And, I mean, there's lots of other implications of that, like the impact um, of digital technology on the different generations, how we learn, how we work, um, how we communicate. But I think just because of those different you know, disruptions and um, how they've impacted particularly the younger generations, generations the oldest of whom are kind of moving through now into our workforces and we've got these older generations managing them going, who are they? I don't understand. Why do they speak a different language? <laughs> so I think that kind of intergenerational um, workforce and community we're seeing is, is going to be a huge disruptor. Yeah, it's certainly challenging. But the other thing, the positive of that is the diversity of it. And if people can embrace yes. that a bit more rather that rather than they don't think like me or they don't look like me and, and they get all very upset about that and see that as a negative. But it can actually be a really positive element of diversity into getting different views and different opinions. And I know that you refer to it as at the moment it's the great screen age. What does that mm. mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you would, a lot of people, a lot of listeners, you know, I even do, you see that um, in your own lives. And there was this kind of photo that, that seemed to be doing the rounds a little while ago, a couple of years ago now, where all these people were on a train and just on screens. But it's not even, you know, on trains or, or public um, commuting platforms anymore that we're seeing that uptake of screen time. It's even in our homes, you know, this idea that we're kind of multi-screening. So you might be on your phone on the couch, but you've got the TV on and maybe a computer screen nearby or a laptop. So this this idea that we're spending more, more and more time um, on our screens. And there's this study that was conducted... Um, um, and it was, it was conducted 
20 years ago now, um, in the year 1997, where it kind of it showed us that we're spending more time on on our screens than in face-to-face interactions. So this idea that we're constantly using our screen devices and we often say, you know, for us older, you know, um, more experienced, more seasoned adults, glass was something we were told to keep our hands off or as younger children today um, are used to interacting with glass and screens and, you know, you see really young kids trying to touch a a TV screen because they're used to engaging with it. So this idea that we're, um, I guess, spending more time on our screen-based devices. Yeah, well, one of of my keen areas is about the concept of attention. So Mm. getting attention is the hardest thing to do, but it's also the most undervalued resource because if you don't get attention, you can't do lots of – you can't do – pretty much anything so I know that you talk about you know you talk about that but we also talk about our attention span is diminishing so one of the challenges in business is to achieve cut through in Mm. a message saturated times What, what are some of the ways that we could do that yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I totally think I, I tend to um, have the privilege of conducting a lot of presentations and it's interesting even that kind of craft when you're public speaking to try and maintain someone's attention for even 45 minutes and we've even done some research um, into that space where it shows that, you know, keynote um, presentations are, are decreasing in length because people's attention spans are long enough to yeah. listen to one person talk for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. So it is really interesting, that concept. Um, I mean, in our, I work for a, an organization called Macrina. We do a lot of market research. And in our research, we've found that um, the key, one of the keys that we find is to make sure that communication is visual. So mm. we, as a research agency, we really believe that um, data, when organizations have data or an important you know, story within the data to tell that it's not going to get the cut through unless it is portrayed in a visual way. And we know that particularly with the younger generations, um, they are visual learners. Um, we saved for them that the number one kind of search engine is no longer um, Google. It's actually YouTube because why would they read something when they can watch it? Mm. So it's this idea of visual learning and the, the use of videos to, to portray, you know, stories and data. Um, and we, so we really believe that if people can invest the time into making their cut their message messages um, and content visual, then that's going to get greater cut through. Even with you know pickup and younger people are so used to seeing visual media, even through the use of um, social media sites like Instagram and Facebook, they're not used to reading long articles anymore. It's just a quick snapshot. It's a Instagram top five tips. You know, it's they're used to that kind of um, short attention span, quick intake of content. So if organizations can invest in making their content and data visual, then we, we really see the value in that and we believe it's going to get greater cut through. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit tricky to tell other businesses to to, to do that because most people are terrified of putting themselves on a video or anything like that. But there That's are right. there are a number of ways that you could do that. But it's it's going back to the power of storytelling, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I fully believe that for sure. Um, there's this kind of great quote um, from Seth Godin. It says, marketing is no longer about the stuff that you make but about the stories you tell. Mm-hmm. And you see that with some really powerful brands that, that get that kind of cut through and there's that kind of um, emotional connection that we, we choose to make when we do make decisions and we really do believe that with shorter attention spans, with the changing times that we're kind of living in with the great screen age that you mentioned where... 
our learning our, is, is changing. Even the concept of a story is changing. If, if organisations can invest um, time into thinking about, I guess, their product or their business offering, what story that does tell, what impact that is going to have, you know, that's really key. And, and we've kind of developed this kind of four eyes that we think about when you think about an engaging story be that a book or a novel or a movie um, or an infographic that we kind of that space that we do with data visualization or even a story always have the four eyes you know it creates interest and it gets our attention that's the first eye Um, a good story instructs us and communicates meaning a good story involves us so we we feel a connection to to what the story is saying and then lastly a great story inspires and they're kind of the four eyes that we often um I guess, teach other organizations about it and do some training on around how, you know, and why storytelling is really powerful and how it can, yeah, as you said, cut through that message-saturated world that we're all living in at the moment. Yeah, the four eyes, I like that. Now, let's just, uh, just to finish off, I, I want to talk about the, the generational differences because I I would probably hazard a guess and it would be a, a bit of a, I suppose, a, an academic guess, mm. and I'm interested in your view, that this generational split that we've got, we've got the Zs that are coming into the workforce now, we've got the um, the Gen Ys, we've got mm-hmm. the Gen Xs and the baby boom is still around. Yep. So there's sort of these four generations at least uh, and they're all quite different in a way. So it's a really interesting time, I suppose, to, to be here, uh, but yeah. to actually look at how we're actually communicating across those generations. So what are some of the tips? So the the, the Gen Z... They're coming in now. Is, is 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 that right? They're sort of graduating from university and entering the workforce. Is that right, Ashley? Yeah, that's right. So our Gen Zs born between 1995 and 2009. So they're about nine to between nine and 23 years of age. So the oldest of whom are coming out of university and and TAFE and further educational study from high school and entering our workforce in big numbers. Yeah. Okay. And so when they're trying to get jobs, the people interviewing them. Uh, some Gen Ys, but they're mainly Gen Xs, so they're my generation. Mm. And there's this big gap, and I was having a conversation the other day. My cousin is uh, just graduated, and I've been sort of giving him some help, getting trying to get him job interviews and getting job ready. Mm. And uh, and he, he won't wear a suit to a job <laughs> interview. It's doing my head in. I kept saying to him, wear a suit, because everyone else going for the job isn't wearing one either. So it's yeah. about trying to sort of zig while everyone else is zagging. But he's saying to me, but we don't do that now, Jack you know so what are some of the tips of how we could actually you know help help that um, communication across the generations yeah it's a great question Um, and I think you know there's it's not without reason that the different generations and particularly the younger generations historically get a bit of a bad rap you know they're they're growing up in obviously different times and particularly that there's so many mega trends kind of converging all at once at the moment, but particularly that kind of um, technological impact and digital revolution that we are seeing um, for the younger generations and how it's impacted them, um, I think is really key. And I think, I think firstly, it starts with an under- helping maybe older generations and younger generations, I think, across the board to help understand why different gener- the differences and understand why. And that's a lot of what we spend our time doing is, is training organisations on helping them un- to understand Generation Z. Why don't they wear a suit? Why are they ha- going to have 17 jobs across five careers in their <laughs> lifetime? Why is that okay for them? Why do they speak a different language? And helping that understanding to go, and I think that 
that forms the basis then of having that respect across the board and I think that's the key is having that mutual respect and trying to focus on the positives so mm. it can be easy to to see the negatives and it's important that we do see that but to focus on the positives that and you, as you mentioned earlier you know great things happen when there's diversity in our workplaces whether that be gender cultural generational diversity and, and drawing on that and the strengths that younger generations can bring into an organization like this innate knowledge of technology and connecting with their peers and and that cross-generational training and I often say in my presentations these days, I love the movie The Intern with Anne Hathaway. Oh, yes, I have, yes. It's beautiful. And I think that concept of, you know, um, maybe she writes, you know, the older intern off at the beginning, but then realizes the value that that um, that different perspective and different life stage brings, and trying to, I guess, hone in on that um, and focus on that. So I think that that's a key to understanding, and even just again, understanding the different ways that they communicate, the different leadership styles. So, you know, older generations, maybe particularly the baby boomers, were really focused on that command and control leadership style, whereas for the younger generations today, it's more about this collaboration and, and contribution and empowerment. So understanding that and the differences can also help when we're trying to, you know, recruit, engage, lead, motivate, communicate. You know, with younger generations or just across the board more generally. Mm, so the, the Gen Z, uh, are they, do you think, going to be more entrepreneurial than Gen Y or do you think it's going to be similar? Um, I think similar but maybe a little bit more. So, I mean, again, um, if you think about the Generation Z, you know, they've got this um, mobility kind of mindset in their mind that they and kind of this empowered, as I said, um, mindset where they're like, yeah, I can do anything. And this again, greater kind of awareness of technology and, and just so much, they've seen so much change in their life, even sectors like manufacturing on the decline and new jobs being created. It's this mindset where they're like, yeah, I can, I can change. I can do this. I'm empowered. I've got technology. I've got understanding, um, you know, presuming that they have those things um, and allowing them to be creative. Um, so I think it will be similar, but maybe a little bit more for generations that and obviously acknowledging that that Gen Y are, have been and are quite a, an entrepreneurial generation as well. Now, um, I looked at your TEDx talk, which I did enjoy, and anyone listening who would like to hear more about Ashley, I recommend going to – on it's on YouTube. It's, a, it's really, yeah, really entertaining. It. You did a great job. I enjoyed it very much. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But one of the things I did notice is that you are Generation Y, so I thought I I'd, I'd better I'd better – predicate that but I didn't assume that you were now do you think Gen Y gets a bad rap uh yes yeah, I thought you'd say even, that <laughs> even that kind of millennial um, there's a few different generational terms I mean we in our profession stick to generation Y and generation Z but the millennials also get that bad oh, rap yeah, um yeah. so they're kind of we see them as being a hybrid of Gen Y and Gen Z those who've come of age in the new millennium mm-hmm. and even you know there's so much context like the smash davo debate around millennials not being able to afford a house because we're too busy buying $22 smash davos every weekend and you know I think we have gotten a bit of a bad rap but as I said earlier historically um, and I've spoken about this with my colleagues you know it, it does seem like it's a generational thing that often older generations give the younger generations whoever they might be a bad rap so it's kind of like a rite of passage and it's more about I guess um, defying those you know, maybe expectations and we've done some research into Gen Y um, and there's some really positive things as well. Like they're very um, purpose-based. They're looking to work for organisations with a good, with a great purpose that aligns to their values. They're looking for organisations.
organizations with, you know, a good culture where they fit in. So, you know, even though they're very different and their working styles and leadership styles are different to the older generations, um, there are some positives, I think, about, about my own generation, Gen Ys. Yeah, well, uh, I think the Gen Xs and baby boomers, we're getting grumpy. And, uh, and, and I think you're actually proving everyone wrong, Ashley Fell. So keep doing Aww. what you're doing. I've enjoyed you, talking to you. I look forward to the next time we can have a chat. McCrindle Research, in my humble opinion, is Australia's leading uh, research organisation and really put meaning to data, which can often be quite dry and boring and a little bit complex. <laughs> so uh, Mark McCrindle and all the crew there at McCrindle Research, always enjoy uh, dealing with you so Ashley Fell thank you very much again for your time this morning and uh, I wish you good morning look forward to the next encounter thanks so much Jackie appreciate it you're listening to Taking Care of Business we'll be right back after this short break Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Today we are talking about the next global disruption and that song was by a guy called Hunter and the name of that song was Blind Spot and our next guest has written a book but it's called Blind Spots and I'm really looking forward to having a chat with her. She is a pioneer. She's been a marketing and advertising innovator and belongs to an extremely exclusive club of 0.1% of women to open her own advertising agency called Venus Comms in 2004. Her new groundbreaking book, Blind Spots, How to Uncover and Attract the Fastest Emerging Economy, has just been released. She's a woman on a mission. Welcome, Beck Brideson. Hi, great to be here. Hi, Beck. Nice talking with you. Now, you are a woman on a mission. What is your mission? You've got a mission to change the world. What about? Well, I want to help brands and businesses understand the massive potential that has been either not thought about or overlooked. And, um, you know, once we start to create products and services that are actually tailored to women's needs, um, everyone will do well. Women will do well because they've finally got brands listening to them. Business will do well because women are buying more and, you know, Life will be better for, better and richer for everybody. Now, I was surprised uh, thinking about women as a, as a target audience, and I thought, surely that, that's been done before. And then I started reading your book, and uh, I was really surprised at how wrong the marketing and advertising industry has been, has been, and they're really missing the mark. What are they doing wrong? Well, I think, you know, if we look historically at the way the world was built... You know, back to the way we educate people, back to the the kinds of um, lens that we've used traditionally in business and in and in educating people to prepare them for business. It's been largely written by men, and you know, I think we're seeing a, a resurgence of of um, inventions and women who have historically had great impact on the way we operate today, but they've not necessarily been recorded until now. Mm. And and so we've got this um, traditional lens or male lens perspective on the way things operate. And, and this was largely made in an era, in, in the decades when men were out toiling the earth and, and inventing business and women were in the home making sure that home and hearth was looked after. So now that we're in a whole new modern era where women are working and women are earning and we know women are making the majority of decisions in the household, even if they're working, um, there's an opportunity to, to review everything we've done and say, 
if we were to use a female lens, what might this look like? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the uh, examples that you have in the book was about Nike and Nike women. And uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? Because that's a really great example of what you're talking about. Yeah, so Nike could see that there's a great potential to um, make products that better served the female audience. And they thought, well, you know, women are, it was during that era where women started to get fit and, you know, there was the, the big aerobics and gym um, surge and then there were um, yoga and Pilates in later years. But what Nike did to to try to sell and make things that were more appealing for women was they went, well, our shoes are working really well. Let's make smaller shoes and sell them, you know, smaller runners, smaller um a smaller size and sell them to women with women's colours. But what they hadn't thought to do was actually take a woman's foot and look at the different physiological build of a foot and say, how should we build a woman's shoe from the ground up rather than just what we call shrink and pink, the men's version. (laughs) And once they started to do that and actually create a form customised and built specifically for female form, um, they started to go through the roof with sales and they have been leading the way ever since. Yeah, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? And then you actually look at it and it, and it, it wasn't obviously some, uh, so obvious. So what can brands do to make women fall in love with their brands? Well, I think uh, researching is really the key to actually understand and, and hear. Now, I know a lot of people say, hey, we've already done the research, but you can only be smart in research by the kinds of questions that you ask. And again, research has traditionally been a very male lens industry. So, you know, what have, what have we not asked and what have we not got the answers to? So that's a great start. The other thing is to look at the culture of a business, the internal culture of a business, because, you know, you might be selling um, paper towel to an audience that you know is largely female, but if the internal culture of the business is very masculine, then there's a disconnect between the way you're operating your business and the people that you're selling to. So understanding how the internal business culture can affect Now, you've uh, obviously had a very long and illustrious career. You're an advertising writer. You're one of the few creative directors uh, at at an agency, and now you own own an agency. And I was looking at, I was reading your uh, bits of your book, and the bit that I loved was all the, the thank yous, because you can't do that on your own you need that you know support I suppose and some of the influences too particularly stood out to me because I've actually worked with them both both on client side was Sean Cummins and Rod Bennett Uh, and I went oh that because they they were extraordinary and I mean they still are extraordinary advertising and business people why were they such great influences on your career Beck? Um, well, uh, Rod specifically has been um, a great mentor. He is someone who is, is really passionate about um, helping grow future talent. And I guess what he and, – and so he's been a mentor and, and an advisor since I've started my own agency. And um, he, I think someone who really can see your talent and believe in you actually helps to give you – 
you know, that grounding mm. and then encourages you to know, to have the confidence to know how you're thinking. Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that was, it's really great. And I think there's a nice message there for anyone, male or female, looking at starting their own business, how important a mentor is and how important these influences are in your own personal and professional growth. Yeah, absolutely. And and as for, for Sean, um, he gave me an opportunity to become a creative director mm. and I observed a lot from watching um, the way he ran an independent agency and a business about, you know, what I would do and what I wouldn't do. So, um, you know, you learn something from everyone along the way. Absolutely you do. And also one of the basics in any marketing is about segmentation. This was the bit that my brain jumped to, to go, okay, you've got male and female. Okay, that's pretty obvious. And then, But then there's segmentation within the genders. So how does segmentation fit into what you're saying in blind spots? Well, yeah, segmentation is usually... Um or, or sorry, gender is usually a subsection of demographic segmentation. Mm. And and so this is where I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about going back historically and reviewing how we've made decisions that we just take for granted now. There is so much difference in the way men and women operate. And yet when we look at um, demographic, we we use gender as just a starting... Uh, sorry, we use gender as a, a subset it really needs to be at the start. I think whenever we're segmenting, we need to say male, female as the starting point, mm. then what different factors are going to influence the way we're targeting our customer. And that that focus of understanding our brains are different, we're physiologically different, our decision-making is different, our DNA is completely different, that should be the starting point for anyone. Now, there are a lot of, um, you know, people who are far more qualified and experts that will disagree, but then when you talk to um, the behaviourists who are all over the fact that our brains are different, that our behaviours are different, they would argue otherwise. So, you know, I think we will see movement in the future as more women enter the sort of, senior leadership positions and start to understand that gender is a really significant differentiator between consumers' behaviours. Yeah, that's really insightful. I know the latest sort of neuroscience information, that's one of my keen areas of interest coming out now, is actually establishing exactly what you're saying, that of those different brains, the, the female brain and the male brain. What do you think the uh, the AFL, the the women's AFL, I think AFLW are they calling, or, or yes. WAFL? I'm not quite sure. Um, how has that influenced uh, sport particularly? I mean, that is a classic traditional male area, AFL football. How has, you know, the, the, the women's league or introducing the women's element of that, how has that shifted or has it? Well, I think because it has been such an incredible success, you know, they brought forward the, the date that they were going to launch that from 2020 to 2017 and it was a phenomenal success. You know, it was a lockout in the first season. They've had unprecedented growth up to 70% um, of people who went to the game had never actually been to an AFL game before. So they've done extremely well in terms of their um, attraction, ability to attract an audience. Mm. And um, they, they should be, you know, like a, a shining beacon of hope for anyone that's saying, you know, have we got a female audience to go after? What do you think they did right to actually get that much attention, positive attention? Um 
So they they used a female lens. You know, essentially they said, if we try and sell this game as if it's the men's game, then uh, we're not going to maximise the opportunity we do to actually seek out a new audience and to let the women make this their own game too. You know, they will play a different game. They will have different strengths. They will have different a different style. We need to let them own it. So they they um, went through all of the different um, departments and levels in, within the organisation and all the different clubs, and they helped to describe what male lens thinking is and what female lens thinking is. And, you know, they've still got a way to go, but they're really embracing the fact that it's okay to be different. You know, we don't have to be a smaller, um, lesser version of the men's game. It's it's really okay to uh, be able to celebrate the kind of form and um, excellence that comes from giving women their own space. Well, I look forward, Beck, to seeing you and maybe one other female or another. It might be me. I don't know. Maybe we need to have a conversation about this. But a Gruen transfer style show of oh, uh, we, as women as anchors. What do you think? I know. I mean, you know, that, that to me is such an indictment on the industry. First we had mad men and now we have three men in Australia telling us how advertising works. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's certainly an opportunity there. We need to take that offline. Might be a conversation we have. Well, I congratulate you on your first book. Now, is there a second book in you or is it too early to say? Yeah, no, there absolutely is. I thought there might be. (laughs) I'm at the bleeding edge of of this work and there's always new ideas and new – I'm always unearthing new facts and figures from around the globe which are all, you know, salient to this subject and helping to move um, what is you know new territory for everyone to be able to to learn from? Well, it's an easy read. I love the graphics in it. It's not just all text. It's it's you've used all your techniques and your expertise to make it compelling reading, interesting reading, and entertaining. So I highly recommend Beck Brideson's Blind Spots if you are looking to attract the fastest emerging emerging economy, which is the female market. Beck, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Jackie. Pleasure. Great talking to Beck today. We talked about the next global disruption today, and we're going to take a very short break right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are feeling this moment. That was Pitbull with Christina Aguilera. That's a cool song, and today we're talking about a cool topic, the next global disruption, and we've had some incredible guests on today. There'll be a podcast of this show. If you've just joined us, you've missed a great show, but don't worry, there'll be a podcast on the PFM website. We've had Mike Edmonds, and I'd like to thank him very much, talking about his new book, Truth, Growth, Repeat, a business manual for Generation Y, but W-H-Y, very clever. And it's all about finding your purpose, and everyone's talking about finding your why and finding your purpose. And, it's, and I've had a quick look at it, a bit of a read, and it's a very easy read. It's a, it's a real business manual as opposed to a boring business textbook. So I highly recommend that. So thank Mike Edmonds. Also I'd like to thank Ashley Fell from McCrindle Research. McCrindle love, always love their insights, the way that they interpret data. Again, makes it easy for people like myself to make sense of it. And uh, and it's really, uh, you know, entertaining as well, the way they use infographics. Uh, if you want to hear more about Ashley, you can, she's done a TEDx talk, which is about 15 minutes long. 
and she talks about the different generations and this screen age that we're in. Uh, it's entertaining and quite insightful. You can find her on YouTube, Ashley Fell, F-E-L-L, and uh, you can find out more from her on that. So thank you very much, Ashley Fell, from McCrindle Research. Loved having you on. And our last guest just before the break was Beck Brideson, who has written a book called Blind Spots, and it's all about tapping into this you know, next global disruption, which is which is women, uh, and a lot of businesses are not getting it right. Uh, the sort of one size fits all. Well, it doesn't, particularly when it comes to marketing. And women are now uh, working a lot more, a lot more decision making, and uh, with their with their choices from a financial perspective. So, highly recommend Blind Spots by Beck Brideson. We hope you've learned something new today and feel inspired and feel a little bit cleverer. I do. And we look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, stay ahead of the game and keep taking care of your business.